Good morning. I'm glad to see you this morning. Good to see all your faces. We are going to be in Acts chapter 11, verse 26 this morning, but first I have to tell some dad jokes. I'm still a dad. So why couldn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was always standing on the deck. Why did Moses cross the Red Sea? (laughs) To get to the other side. It's absolutely true. And what type of car did Jesus drive? No, he wouldn't drive a Ford. (laughs) He drove a Chrysler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Car manufacturers spend a lot of time coming up with names. I did not spend a lot of time coming up with those jokes. Uh, Because the names of the cars are important. And names are important. Our name always describes us to somebody else, right? They want to know your name. They forget it, but they want to know your name. And I want us to think for a minute about our name, Central Baptist Church. What does that tell people, Central Baptist Church? Well, it tells us we're a church. It tells us that we're a Baptist church. And it tells us um, that we're central. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that a long, long time ago when the church was founded, we were on Magnolia Street, way up toward downtown. And back in those days, if you consider both, um, actually that's on the Texas side for those diehard Arkansans here. But if you consider both sides, Texas and Arkansas, and you look at the map from those days, we were centrally located. So we literally were Central Baptist Church. And now we're just keeping the name because that's what everybody knows us by, even though they pay no attention to what it means. So it's Central Baptist Church. It's a Baptist church. We know what Baptists are. But do you know what, why Baptists are called Baptists? It is because, well, you know, all, all churches baptize, don't they? But some pour, some sprinkle, and some immerse. Baptists are called Baptists because a long time ago, uh, well, we still do insist on baptizing by immersion, but it was a big controversy a long time ago, so people nicknamed us Baptists because we were those that baptized. Uh, originally Anabaptists because we baptized again from somebody who came from another denomination. Baptist kind of describes our how we practice our faith, but we go by another more fundamental name, and that is Christian. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 says that when he had found him, that is when Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The early church went by three different names. The believers went by three different names. And each one describes an aspect of our faith. And each one describes a way that we can develop our faith. So we're going to look at those three names this morning before we have the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at the first one, which is in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. The disciples. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So what is a disciple? 
Do you all know what a disciple is? Somebody tell me what a disciple is. One word. Follower, learner, learner. So you, so I heard follow, I heard learner. Both of those are correct. More precisely, though, it's a learner, someone who is a pupil of any age, any gender, a learner. It is the first step that you take after salvation. You begin to learn about Jesus, learn about the Bible, learn about what your your relationship with Jesus is all about, learn about his will for your life. You are a learner. It is an ancient discipleship. Discipleship is an ancient learning method. Did you know that? Disciples all over the place in the ancient world. Socrates had disciples. They would follow him around. And his most famous disciple, of course, was Plato. The Pharisees had uh, disciples. They would follow him around. John the Baptist had disciples. He was training them, teaching them to learn how to recognize the Messiah when he came and be prepared to learn from him. And, of course, Jesus had thousands of disciples, uh, 12 of which were unique in the sense that they were apostles. They were very close to Jesus. So so what is this disciple uh, learner, this disciple master, disciple teacher relationship like? Well, sometimes it's called a master because that's an old term for teacher. When teachers used to be respected by their students, they'd call a master. <laughs> they stopped that somewhere along the line. But a disciple, a master, a disciple, teacher. Well, this is how it worked. So they would just kind of live with the, each other. Maybe they would spend the night together. Maybe they wouldn't. They would eat together. They would roam around, travel around, and, and, and meet together. So, so here's how kind of... Well, let's look at the scripture and see how it kind of works, okay? Because the book of Luke tells us an example of how the disciple and master relationship worked. Luke chapter 21 and verse 1. So Jesus and his disciples are hanging out together. They're in the temple, okay? They're in a part of the temple where they could see the offerings given. And it says this in verse 1. And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So, they are disciples. They are learning about how to behave in the world as a Christian. All Christians are disciples. Okay? All Christians are disciples. Now, we can be a good disciple. We can be a bad disciple. We can be a mediocre disciple. But you don't become a disciple. You are a disciple when you become saved, when you give your life to Christ. Now, you know from memory or practice that every classroom has three different kinds of students, right? You have the star, always raising their hand, the star pupil. And then you have the student that's all the time causing trouble. <laughs> and you, you wish for the day to end <laughs> if you're the teacher. And then you have the majority of the students which are somewhere in between, okay? We always have three. And, you know, that's how it is in, in Christianity among us that are disciples. Some disciples are, are good disciples. Some disciples are troublemakers. But most of us fall somewhere in between. 
And so this morning I just want to ask you a question. We're not, we're not done yet. <laughs> but I just want to ask you a few questions, and, and you can think about this as we go on. What kind of a disciple are you in Jesus' classroom? Are you the star pupil? <laughs> are you the troublemaker? Are you somewhere in between? Are you memorizing the lesson? Are you applying the lesson? You're one of those people, and um, we can always make improvement, correct? Even the star pupil can make improvement. Well, the early Christians were known as disciples because of that disciple-master relationship. As Jesus became well-known, people began to refer to the disciples by another name. John chapter 14 and verse 6. If you'll turn there and, and, and stay there for a while, please. I will find it myself. I, I got it marked. I'm cheating. Perhaps they were known by this uh, name because of this verse. I kind of think probably so. John 14, verse 6, you probably all know it anyway. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The second name that Jesus' disciples became known as followers of the way. The way. And that's mentioned several times in the book of Acts. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to turn there uh, because I'll have it read before you get there. Because I'm not telling you what chapter it's in yet. But it is in chapter 19. You can look up later. Chapter 19, verse 9 says, But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. Okay, that's one way that the way is used. And verse 23, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. And you can keep reading if you want to take some notes. I've got Acts 22.4 and 24.14 and 24.22. Places where the way is mentioned. It's real interesting to, to follow it through, but we don't have enough time to do that this morning. But they were followers of the way. Now, what is a way? A way is simply a road or a path. So the disciples were following or embracing the way. It indicates a way to travel from point A to point B. So where is point A and where is point B in this passage in John about the way? Well, let's look at it in verse 1 and go through verse 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. But Thomas, I don't know. So Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way is a person, not a physical road, not a, 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 not a, a philosophy, not a way of thinking. 
Not even a worldview, but it is a person. Jesus said, I, I am the way. And I am a path from point A to point B. The path is, no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do you get to the Father, the creator of all that there is, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How do we get to him? Through Jesus Christ. And why do we get to him? We get to him in order to be saved. The Father is the head of the Trinity. The Son, of course, is the part of the Trinity that sacrificed so that we could be forgiven, and the Holy Spirit has, has his role as well. But the Father is the one that grants salvation, and Jesus is the path to the Father. So initially, we come through Jesus to the Father, and he forgives our sins. And then we have an ongoing father-child relationship with him. That is why he is called the Father. Okay, So he is the Father, and, and Jesus is the road or the path to get there. But the way also is, Verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's also the way to truth. All kinds of truth today, and, and you know, everybody, many people are saying truth is relative. Truth is depending on your perspective, uh, but that's not true. <laughs> truth is true. And if it's not true, it's not true. And if it is true, it's always true, and every time period, in every person, in every circumstance. And Jesus said, I am the truth. What does that mean? That means that everything he says is accurate. That means that his worldview is true. And if, it's a, if you have a different worldview, well, that's your privilege, but it's not true. Okay? I am the truth, the correct worldview. I am the life. Jesus, through the Father, and through his sacrifice, grants you and continues to grant you eternal life. Do you realize that, that if God wanted to withdraw salvation from you, he could, except he promised he wouldn't, so he can't violate himself. So Jesus is the medium by which we continue to be saved to get this eternal life. Christians embrace the way. Now, in John chapter 14 and verse 19, we learn that Jesus left his disciples. And we know that, of course. But they didn't know it until he said this, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. And then in verse 20, At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. What does that mean? That means that Jesus and you, once you are saved, are linked together. I am in you, and you are in me. We are together. It's sort of like a marriage relationship, only much more intense, much more indissolvable, cannot be dissolved. And the more that you embrace the way, the deeper your relationship is. Now, dating can be very intense. And you can get to the place where you uh, can't see each other enough. It's just an awesome experience. But marriage goes deeper. And those of you that are married understand the difference between marriage and dating. It is a deeper, deeper relationship. Jesus calls his disciples into embracing the way 
and have a deeper relationship than just being a disciple. John chapter 15 and verse 10. key word here, the word is abide. That's the deep relationship. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, we know that, but, but don't bypass verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You know those little Smiley faces that you see at the doctor's office. This is how much pain you're in. This is how much pain. This is how much. Let's reverse that and say, this is how much happiness you are. This is how happy you are. This, how happy are you on that scale? Are you way over here? Are you way over here? As a Christian, you're going to be happy because you know you're going to go to heaven. okay? And you know you're not going to go to hell. But, but how happy are you on that scale? Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you and you will, your joy will be full. So what does it mean to abide? We want to know what it means to abide. Well, you know you have different kinds of friends, don't you? I do. I have different kinds of friends. Friends that are just brand new friends, and they're a little bit, I don't know if I like this guy or not. And you invite them over to your house, and, and they're kind of like, can I walk on the carpet? I'm not going. I'm thirsty, but I'm not asking for nothing because I don't. those kinds of friends. Then you have the friends that just walk in, don't even bother to knock, and they open the refrigerator door and eat a week's worth of groceries. Those are the kinds of friends that are abiding with you. They are comfortable in your presence, comfortable in your house. You see, Jesus can abide in you. That is, He can be comfortable with what you're doing and how you're acting toward Him. And some days he's abiding, and some days probably not abiding. <laughs> it depends on the traffic. Uh, but this is what he's saying. If I abide in you, if you abide in me, you will have a full joy. You see, you have embraced the way is what he is saying. So let Jesus be comfortably home in your soul. So the disciples became followers of the way. The followers became Christians. Interestingly, we all start as disciples. We're learning, 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 learning. And then we progress to embracing the way where Jesus abides with us. And then we become known as Christians. Now, I understand that Christian is a catch-all term that just means somebody who's saved. And I use it that way all the time. That's, that's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Fine, 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 fine. But, but, it mean, but in the scriptures, it took on a original meeting. So let's look again at Acts 11, verse 26. And we'll ask the question, what is a Christian? All right, we're going to jump up to verse 25 because I just keep describing what it says in verse 25 and I ought to just read it. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul... And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Originally, this, this word Christian seems to have been an insult. Like Baptist was originally an insult. 
Anabaptist was originally an insult. Christian was probably originally an insult. When Paul appeared before Agrippa the king, and he, he tried to talk him into becoming saved, Agrippa said, you know, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And it's like there's a sneer on his face. When Peter talks in 1 Peter, you'll get to this eventually in Sunday school, um, when Peter talks about the different ways that we can suffer, he says, but if any of you suffer as a Christian, that is, you're suffering because, possibly he means this, you're suffering because people don't think highly of you because you are a Christian. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you have embraced the name. Christians are Christ-like. That's what literally it means, to be like Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 5, give you a second to get to Ephesians chapter 5. Last place you're going to have to turn, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about what it means to be a Christian without using the word Christian. Verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Oh, so many things here, but we're only talking about one, okay? Be imitators of God. Now, your, your translation may say followers. It's okay. That's a, that's, a, that's a good translation. But it's not as precise as an imitator. Because an imitator is a mimic. Not a mime, <laughs> but, a, but a mimic. You know what it means to mimic? It means to do what somebody else is doing. So, when I was teaching kids how to draw, I would say, this is how you draw a perfect circle. And they would do exactly like I did, and they would know how to, if you want to know about this later on, I'll tell you about it. Okay. Uh, they, would, they would learn how to draw a perfect circle. This is how you draw a perfect oval. Okay? You can be taught that. Corey's up here, leading, singing, and we are following him. We are mimicking him. Now, if you can remember the last time you sang happy birthday to somebody, you know what it's like when you don't have a song leader. <laughs> we did that last night, and we didn't know what words to say or anything. Eventually, we all caught, caught on uh, at the end of To You. <laughs> but if you don't have someone to mimic, someone to pattern after, then you just go anywhere, right? Life is like that, too. When your dad says, do as I do. In the, in the good sense. You follow what they do. And so when they act a certain way, you act a certain way. And, and this is discipleship, embracing the way, being a Christian. When we follow after Christ. When we are imitators of God as dear children. In this sense, Christ. So, so how do we mimic Jesus? Well, we mimic his worldview. How do we know his worldview? Well, it's right here, of course. And so you find out what the Bible says about things, and that's the view that you adopt. You say, well, I want to think for myself. Well, you go right ahead and think for yourself if you want to. <laughs> but you're going to be thinking after somebody, because someone's laid the groundwork no matter what uh, philosophy or theology you embrace. 
So the Bible says, find out what Jesus thinks about the world. What does Jesus think about abortion? What does Jesus think about capital punishment? What does Jesus think about feeding the poor? What does Jesus think about how to have church? What does Jesus think? What does Jesus think? What does Jesus think? And then pattern your life that way. What is Jesus' attitude toward poor people? What is Jesus' attitude toward people that, that mistreat you? What is Jesus' attitude about different things? Pattern your life after his attitude. What is Jesus' standards? What's right? What's wrong? What can I do without it being right or wrong? And it's just okay, whatever the style is. Follow Jesus' standards. And look at Jesus. You know, the reason that God came to earth was so that we could see how all of this plays out in real life. So we read the Gospels and we see how Jesus walked. And we see how Jesus talked. And we see what Jesus did. And we follow that lifestyle. And then we become imitators of God. All Christians imitate Christ. Did you know that? It's not something that you necessarily aspire to. You aspire to be better at it. Because all Christians, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, directing us. And lots of times we follow him, and sometimes we don't. And some people follow or imitate Christ better than others. But I want to remind you that we are all on the journey. And some of us just got saved. And some of us have been saved for a moderate amount of time. And some of us have been saved a long time. And the, and the longer you're on the journey, the better you're able to mimic Christ. See? See? So, so if you know people that are not doing very well, well, maybe they haven't been a Christian for very long. Or maybe they've been out of church for a long time. And, and, and they've got to get their feet back on the ground. We should not be judgmental about people about this. We should all follow our own journey and help others along the way. So where are you on this journey? I don't want you to tell me. I want you to ask yourself. Are you a disciple just learning the basics like boot camp? Are you following the way, embracing Christ, uh, abiding in him? Are you acting as a Christian, intentionally imitating Jesus? Well, there is a sense in which we're all three, okay? We're all three. If, you, if, you're, if you're saved, if you have Jesus to come into your life, take control and forgive your sins, then, then all three of these things are happening simultaneously. But the emphasis is usually on one to, to the other. But there's a sense in which we will always be all three. And I want to uh, suggest that you embrace all three. And think about where you are today in your progress and commit to this next week improving, improving.